When I graduated from seminary, I became a curate at a parish in the Diocese of Alabama, my home parish. It was my first job, and my boss, or rector, was really funny, and he was really good at his job. And I remember that each year during confirmation class, when people were joining the Episcopal Church, um, we would always have a lot of Baptists joining the Episcopal Church in Decatur, Alabama. And he had to work hard to um, make sure that they understood that Episcopalians love the Bible as much as they do. (laughs) And he had this line that he said every year, and I always enjoyed it. And he was being playful and, and, and funny. I thought it was hilarious. And most of the Baptists did too, actually. He would say in confirmation class, the prayer book, the prayer book, the Bible has a lot of the prayer book in it. And of course, the opposite is true, and he he knew that. The Bible comes first, of course. But this Sunday, you really see how a lot of the prayer book's language does, in fact, come straight from the scriptures. I remember, for example, the very first thing that I, I memorized as a priest, and it's a line lifted straight from this epistle to the Philippians that we hear today. An epistle, by the way, that Paul writes from prison, and yet an epistle that is so comforting and emphasizes joy and trust and hope. But the line is this one. It's the blessing, the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And this part doesn't come from Paul, but it gets added in. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be amongst you and remain with you forever. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. I suspect that these days, at the top of your prayer list, like it is on mine, are prayers for peace. The terrorist attack on Jerusalem and southern Israel was horrifying. And we watch each day the ripple effects of that terrible act. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem and of Israel. We pray, of course, for Palestine. We pray especially for civilians and children and all who are in harm's way and all who are on a horrible pilgrimage to find safety somehow. We pray as well for our our, our siblings in the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem. I think about them each Good Friday. Each Good Friday, this cathedral, like many Episcopal churches, gives its Good Friday collection to that diocese where about 7,000 Episcopalians gather for prayer. So we pray especially for them as well. In the Bible, in the Gospels, Jesus preaches peace. But we all know the journey to peace is complex. It's complex. I think about the prayers that we offer and should continue to offer day by day for our elected leaders May God grant them the strength to persevere in the relentless pursuit of peace. And may God give them wisdom. I think about as we pursue peace, the urgency of prayers for 
all who serve in our military. Just a few weeks ago, just two weeks ago, actually, the Episcopal Church um, consecrated its, its newest bishop. Her name is Bishop Anne Ratonio. She's the, the bishop for the armed forces. She's, um, she's a retired Marine and by all accounts, wonderful and wise. And her job is to oversee about 125 Episcopal priests who are military chaplains. And I'm really proud the Episcopal Church does its part to care for the souls, the spiritual lives of all who serve in our military. We have so many people to pray for these days. In the gospel, as Jesus pursues peace, he certainly preaches peace. I think about the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. The Sermon on the Plain, blessed are the peacemakers. He couldn't be any more clear that peace is always the goal. And even more than what Jesus said, it's what he did to embody peace. As Luke tells the story, right before Jesus was arrested, Peter took out a sword that he had procured and cut off the slave or servant of Malchus who had authority there. And Jesus does not borrow Peter's sword. The prince of peace resists evil and violence and goes willingly to his arrest, betrayal, and crucifixion. The prince of peace is always the one who gives us our marching orders and sets the example for us. And for that reason, in the early church, for centuries, pacifism was the norm. And there's still a lot of pacifists, even in the Episcopal Church, even in the Anglican Union of churches. And yet, over time, and beginning with St. Augustine of Hippo, the great North African bishop, another approach to war was developed, and it's called just war theory. And it's a meditation upon how, when we have to enter and use force, how can it be done in the most just and humane way? There's about seven principles, one of which is that war always has to be a last resort. A second is it has to have just conduct, and that's where that bit about not putting civilians in harm's way is so urgent to make the use of force as just as it can be, although it's always a lesser of two evils. I think about those lovely words that Anne read from that same epistle. If anything is just, think about these things. Talking about all of this is the last thing I would like to do from the pulpit. But in times like this, it's urgent to remember what it is that we believe as Episcopalians even as we leave healthy, plenty healthy room for, for disagreement. I always want people who serve in all levels of our government, who serve in the military, to know that we really do have ethical and spiritual resources that are incredibly helpful and offer guidance and even great hope, great hope. We pass the peace every Sunday. In that first parish where I served at the curate, I vividly remember a gentleman who went to the right one service every single Sunday. He had been an Episcopalian for most of the 20th century. And for those of you who've been an Episcopalian for decades, you'll, you'll remember that when we got the new prayer book, 
which was in 1979, so I probably shouldn't call it new anymore. (laughs) It made communion the the normal or principal service every single Sunday. Um, Up until then, communion was occurred um, sometimes monthly in smaller places, sort of quarterly. But one of the grand changes in the 1979 Book of Common Prayer, unlike the previous one, the 1928 prayer book, it required us right before receiving communion to pass the peace. It's actually an ancient part of the service that just had been lost. Well, this parishioner at 8 o'clock, he hated it. (laughs) He, He just could not abide it. I would say from the top of the steps, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And he would say, and with thy spirit and promptly sit down. (laughs) He knew that for most of his life, the Episcopal Church had been called God's frozen chosen. (laughs) And he considered that a compliment. (laughs) His friends around him They knew he would never sort of move throughout the pews or, God forbid, hug someone or even smile. But they did coax him into waving from a seated position to a few people. And that's that's not nothing. (laughs) I think about that great line from AA in the recovery movement, progress, not perfection. Um, So he's making a little progress. I think it is so lovely and tender and essential that we pass the peace before taking our place at the table. It's an essential step to do the best we can to be at peace with one another before we find our place at this altar table. The passing of the peace, we pray, spreads. The passing of the peace is a poignant reminder every Sunday that every little thing that you and I do for the sake of peace matters. It matters to God, and it's a part of the great chain of being of peace that comes from God and spreads throughout the world. And the passing of the peace is indeed just that. The passing and sharing of peace that brings about peace. Peace of mind. Peace in this cathedral. And with God's help, peace throughout the world.